look at two places today. First of all, John chapter 14, and then Colossians chapter 1. John 14 and Colossians 1. In John 14, whoa, sorry, that was my fault. Uh, John 14, we'll start with verse 15 in the middle of the narrative here. Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then to Colossians chapter 1. We'll pick up on verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. Whoops. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. The last uh, couple of hundred years, 250 years, 300 years, have been extraordinary times. I guess they know that I'm thirsty here today because they, they have so many cups for me. Have been extraordinary times for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the growth of the church around the world. It has grown so rapidly with the, uh, the modern missionary movement, with uh, uh, Pentecostalism, uh, and the influence that that has had uh, with revivals. You had the uh, First Great Awakening uh, and the Evangelical Awakening here in the United Kingdom uh, in the 1700s, the Great Awakening in the United States, or the colonies at that time uh, in the 1700s, the Second Great Awakening, uh, many other revivals uh, and expansions of the body of Christ. It has been absolutely extraordinary to see what God has done, and what God continues to do around the world in the church of Jesus Christ. 
Even today, uh, mighty outpourings of the Holy Spirit are happening around the world. Uh, One of the fastest growing areas of the body of Christ today is in the nation of Iran, even amidst uh, all of the persecution. Obviously, uh, uh, church growth continues in China uh, and uh, massive expansion there in India and uh, Africa. Uh, It's estimated that probably within a very short time, Africa will have more Christians uh, than the rest of the world, possibly. It's just really incredible to see what God is doing and to see how exciting it is. Uh, At the same time, we've also seen some profound shifts in the way that we have understood our faith, in the way that we've expressed our faith, the way we've understood salvation and expressed salvation and taught salvation. And a lot of this has happened, I think, because of uh, the rise of rationalism, the the focus on science and naturalism. Uh, And sometimes Christians respond against that and they become uh, what we sometimes know as fundamentalistic. Uh, And uh, and sometimes Christians uh, totally capitulate to that and can move into various forms of liberalism. And sometimes uh, there's not a whole lot of difference between uh, very far right fundamentalism and very far left liberalism. Uh, They both tend to focus on the intellect, on the reason. And in fact, that's one of the things that's almost been a quest that we've seen uh, in the last couple hundred years to make our faith more reasonable. Now, I'm not against reason. I'm not against education, obviously. I have a doctorate, of course. And, and, uh, and I value that, and I think, uh, and I really agree with our Reformed heritage, uh, that an untrained, uh, uneducated clergy is a real danger in the body of Christ. Uh, so, so I'm passionate about education, and I'm passionate about us using our reason, using our intellect, uh, as well as our spirit, uh, our total person, to apprehend the truth of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. However, at the same time, sometimes what we've done is we've so focused on reason and intellect, uh, we've so focused on what we could understand, we've been so afraid of those in academia who might challenge us, Uh, we've been so concerned about uh, different ways of studying the Bible and understanding the Bible, Uh, we've been so concerned about things such as uh, evolution and what that means about our faith, and the like, that we have begun, I think, many times to lose the sense of mystery that is there in our faith as Christians. And we have lost a sense of the wonder and the glory and the astonishment at all that Jesus Christ has done all that the Father has done in Jesus Christ and all that the Holy Spirit has done and all that they are continuing to do. And this sometimes has distorted the reality of our faith so that somehow the cross of Christ is something that was done for us a couple of thousand years ago and has relevance for us when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but then after that, we move on to something else. 
or that Jesus, we, we honor him, we worship him, but we think of Jesus sometimes as someone who is up there seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father and doesn't really have much to do with us in our day-to-day life. Oh, we have this vague sense of maybe he's following us around and, and looking over us, uh, maybe like a form of Santa Claus, you know, to see if we're naughty or nice, you know, strike us down. Uh, if we're naughty, uh, give us extra blessings if we're nice. Uh, and it's just been so many kinds of things like this that have crept in to our understanding of Christianity, our understanding of what Christ has done for us, our understanding of what salvation means. For example, the focus so much on, on justification and that part of our salvation that Jesus died uh, just to, to justify us, to satisfy God's righteousness, that we sometimes miss some of the other dynamics and some of the other aspects of all that God has done and all that God is doing in His Son, Jesus Christ, in and through us. And so over the next number of weeks that I'm preaching, we'll have a few guests uh, here in the, in the, over the next few weeks. But over the next number of weeks I'm preaching, at least through Easter, may take us a little bit longer than that. I'm going to be talking about an aspect of the reality of our salvation that I think largely we have forgotten. We've not completely lost it. It's been there. But certainly, if you go back to our heritage in uh, the 15 and 1600s, and you look at some of the Puritans, uh, such as our founder, Thomas Goodwin, uh, or you look at even uh, who many consider the founder of Reformed theology, John Calvin, there's a dynamic, there's an aspect of our salvation in Jesus Christ, of our life in Jesus Christ, of all that Jesus has done for us that sometimes we have lost or sometimes we have forgotten or sometimes we have not emphasized so much. And so over the next number of weeks, I want to try to recapture that for us a little bit and hopefully use the Word of God to re-inspire us about what this means and the implications that it has for our lives And it's the reality that in Jesus Christ, in all that he's done in his death and resurrection, we are one with him. When we look at passages like the passage there in John chapter 14, very much a a very loved passage. Uh, Many, many people will read that passage. But I've noticed every time that I've heard a sermon say on, that would focus in on just the passage that I read today. Every time that I read a ser- or hear a sermon on this passage, it tends to focus, and I'm getting feedback back here, it tends to focus on this reality. Uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's the idea, and that's the focus. And so people will say, okay, our, our call is to love Jesus and keep his commandments. That seems reasonable. That seems logical. That seems doable, actually. Okay, I love Jesus. And because I love Jesus, I'm gonna do his stuff. I'm gonna do what he tells me to do. That makes sense. I love my parents, and most of the time, I, okay, not most of the time, at least half of the time. Okay, at least part of the time, I did what they told me to do. Occasionally. I did that. 
occasionally. Because uh, I love them. That's right, you know. I love my wife. And so because I love my wife, I do almost all of what she tells me to do because I know that I would starve if I didn't. Uh, so there's, you know, kind of a motive there that comes in there. And so that makes sense. It is something that's easy for us to grab onto. It's something easy for us to handle. But there's other parts here that we gloss over. We don't really focus on. For example, what Jesus said there. Uh, let me find it there. In that day, verse 20, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. That's not difficult Greek, by the way. But we don't really talk about that. And yet... That reality, that verse in this little passage we read here today, I would argue is the central reality. It's the central verse in this passage. Jesus is saying here that there is a knowable reality in that day when he has died on the cross and he's risen from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. In that day, in that time, there is a noble, discernible reality that Jesus is in the Father and we are in him and he is in us. Now this is an incredible idea. It's an incredible concept. Jesus is saying the human, Jesus, Remember, fully God, fully human. His incarnation did not diminish his, his godness, nor did it diminish his humanity. He's fully God, fully human. They're not intermingled. They're not interchanged. They're, they're, they, they remain distinct, but they remain united. And even now, Jesus is fully God and fully human. And Jesus, as a man standing before them, is saying that he is in... God the Father. Now if I said that to you, you would probably have me committed. If not, you should. Because that sounds kind of crazy. I am in God. What is that? Yet that's what Jesus said. And he said... He's going to be in the Father, and we are going to be in Him. That means, in a sense, we are connected intimately with the Father, just as Jesus is in the Father, we are in Jesus. Jesus is saying that's our reality right now. Every single one of us who are followers of Jesus are in Him as He is in the Father. It's crazy. And then Jesus says that he's going to be in us. That we are going to be intimately one with him and connected with him. So Jesus is in the Father. We're in Jesus. Jesus is in us. There is a oneness 
a union that we have with Jesus Christ right now. And for Jesus, that is, was to be the defining reality of our existence. The fact that we are united with Him and He is with the Father and He is in us and we are in Him, that is the reality that defines our existence. And everything else, actually, that Jesus is saying here only makes sense in light of that reality. For example, how is that going to happen? It's going to happen by the Spirit, by the Spirit of truth. So the Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to be the Holy Spirit in us, but it's also Jesus in us. It's the Spirit of Christ. And that's real. It's by the Spirit, by the Spirit. And because of this, we're no longer orphans. He said, I will not leave you orphans. This means that we're never alone. That we're loved, we're cherished. We're united in the family of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're enfolded in that reality. He says, he says as well, that because of this, because he's in us, he's gonna give us life. That means right now we have life, the life of Jesus Christ, the undying, death-conquering, sin-conquering, hell-conquering life of Jesus Christ is in us right now because Jesus is in the Father and we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us. And it's this reality that enables us to love Him and to keep His commandments. We don't keep his commandments and somehow become united with him. We are united with him and therefore we are enabled to keep his commandments. We're enabled to live in a way that pleases him, in a way that honors him. And in this reality, Jesus manifests himself to us. We can actually know Jesus. We can experience Jesus. We can know that he's with us. We can have that sense. This idea of manifesting is the idea of revealing conclusively so that we can know that Jesus really is alive. And it's a mysterious thing and we're crazy to say it, but we know that Jesus is alive because Jesus lives in us. And so Jesus says, this is a knowable reality that defines our existence. But even as a knowable reality, it's also a mystery. That's what Paul was talking about in, uh, in his passage. Now by mystery, we're not talking about a myth. By mystery, we're saying it's something that we cannot really define and we cannot really know in all of its fullness. It's certainly something that we cannot understand in all of its fullness. It is something that goes beyond our intellectual comprehension. And the mystery, according to Paul, is this, that Christ is in us. For Paul, this is the defining reality of our salvation. He says in 2 Timothy 2.10, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, 
that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So for Paul, the reality of our salvation, the reality of our life is that Jesus Christ is in us. Now, sometimes we colloquialize that and say, invite Jesus into your heart. You know, that's just kind of our our phrase there. Uh, We could say, invite Jesus into your kidneys, you know, because for the, the Hebrews, the kidneys, that was more the source of the emotions and things like that. We might say, invite Jesus into our mind, invite Jesus into our spirit. Uh, But none of these things, as best as we try to talk about them, actually give us that full reality, because obviously we cut ourselves open. We're not going to find the face of Jesus somehow carved on our hearts like it is occasionally on toast or something like that that pops out of the toaster or you see it in the skies. You know, it, it doesn't happen that way. But it is nonetheless a reality that if we are in Christ, if we have responded to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ lives in us in the power of his Holy Spirit. And because of this, we always have hope and we have hope to experience the fullness of God's glory. Not only in this world, but also in the new heaven and the new earth that Jesus is going to bring about. We don't fully understand, we can't fully understand how this happens, how this works, how this functions, but that does not mean it's any less a reality. Simply because it's a mystery. And it's a mystery, Paul says, that is revealed to the saints. It's only something that can even begin to be apprehended by those of us who have been redeemed through Jesus Christ, through faith, by grace through faith. And this mystery, there are riches of glory in this mystery. Riches of glory. Things that we haven't even begun, I think, fully as a body of Christ to comprehend. Things that God wants to do in us and through us. Amazing things like what he's done and what he's determined to do. But the idea in all of this is that Jesus Christ is in us so that one day we might become more and more like Jesus. So that we, as Paul says, might be presented fully mature in Christ. And the idea is that every single one of us would be living our lives in union with Jesus so that we live our lives as Jesus would live if he was living our lives. Whether we're men or women, it doesn't matter. We're all equally valued. We're all equally loved. We're all equally little Jesuses. But because of this, Jesus Christ lives in us. Now the thing we can explain, the only way to begin to explain this, this reality It's through this idea of oneness with Jesus or union with Jesus or being one with Jesus Christ. And that is the central reality of our lives and that is the central mystery of our lives as Christians that we are one with Jesus Christ. And every benefit that we have as a Christian 
Everything that we receive from God, every blessing that we receive, everything that we do to bring glory to Jesus in our working life, uh, in our homes, in our schools, and so on and so forth. All of that is because we are in union with Jesus Christ. We are one with Christ. Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. And this is the central reality of our lives. It's not that Jesus somewhere out there did something once upon a time, and now our sins are forgiven so that we just go on and live our lives. It's not just that we now can go about being good moral people, trying to, to do, uh, raise up a, a good just society. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with a just society or being moral people. But something else has happened in that connection, in our salvation, in our redemption, something else happened. And what happened was we became one with Jesus Christ so that everything we receive and everything we have comes out of that unity with Christ. And for the first 1600 years of the church, they really saw that, they knew that, they embraced it, and it's only been in the last couple hundred years that we begin more and more to forget this central reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. And yet, if we forget this reality, we lose something of the preciousness and glory and reality of our salvation. So what is this union with Christ? What is this oneness with Christ? Well, it's, it's definitely a personal and intimate oneness. Jesus, when we become one with him, when Jesus comes into us and we go into him, in that reality, it touches us at our deepest level of humanity. The idea is to free us so that we can become fully human as God created us to be living as women and men in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God in Jesus Christ as the people of Jesus Christ. And so for each one of us, this reality comes and connects with us. It's not just something that we happen in happens in personally. It's something that's very personal and very intimate to us in that connection that we have. And each person experiences it maybe slightly differently but it doesn't change the reality that in oneness with Jesus, Jesus comes and touches us at the deepest level of our humanity, setting us free. This oneness with Jesus Christ is also something that is genuinely organic, in a, I guess in a spiritual way. It's vital, it gives life. Not only as Jesus says here, do we have life because we're in union with Jesus, because Jesus is in us and we have his eternal life. Not only do we have life because of this, but all the fruitfulness of our lives, all of the outcome of our lives, all of the output of our lives comes as a result of this oneness with Jesus Christ. Jesus would go on to say in chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Only in me can you bear fruit. It's a, it's a vital connection. But this oneness with Jesus is always a profound mystery. It's always tempting for us to try to demystify it. To say, oh, you know, just put Jesus on the throne of your heart. No, it's true. You know, you need to have Jesus leading you. But union with Christ is more than that. 
Oh, just invite Jesus into your heart. Okay, that's, that's true. But union with Jesus is more than that. Because it's not only does Jesus come and change us, but Jesus comes and dwells in us. He lives with us. And because of that, we live in Him. In the same way that Jesus, when He became incarnate, united uh, His humanity and divinity In that same way, when we are united with Jesus, we are united with his humanity and with his divinity in a life-changing, life-giving way that we can never fully comprehend and we can never fully explain, but that does not diminish the reality of it all. It can never diminish the reality of it. And so we don't know how it works, but we know that it's the key to everything as Christians. It's the key to the way that we live our lives. So the question comes, how do we come into this unity with Jesus? How do we come into this oneness, this union with Jesus Christ? Well, we do it in the way Paul said, we are saved by grace through faith. God, by his grace, invites us and draws us to come into union with Jesus and be enfolded into the Trinity, be enfolded into God's family. He does this not because of anything that we do or don't do. He's not looking at our scorecard. He's not looking at, you know, have we done more good things than bad things? He does this simply out of his grace because God, out of the love of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, draws us in love into that relationship of life. So it happens only by God's grace, but it happens through faith. We must believe and that faith is something that even God himself gives us, enables us to do because these kinds of mysteries, if we were left on our own, we couldn't believe them. We wouldn't want to believe them. We want to reject them. We want to try to demysteriify them. I just invented a word. But it's by faith, by choosing to believe and trust and accept what God offers. And we experience it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that draws us in. It's the Spirit of God that enfolds us. It's the Spirit of God that seals us for the day when we will become like Jesus fully because we will see him fully as he is. It's this reality, the grace of God through faith and the power of the Holy Spirit by which Jesus takes us into himself and Jesus himself comes into us and enfolds us into this reality of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. And you know, there's no top 10 list of things to do. As many of you know, I don't often 
say you got to do a lot of stuff with a sermon because I don't want to get into legalism. And that's oftentimes what we do, you know. If you got 52 sermons uh, a year and each sermon just gave you one thing to do, that's 52 new things you need to do every single year. And that can kind of get overwhelming and then you can just get caught up in all of that. And you know, in this reality, there's not a lot of things to do. God simply invites us to believe, to have faith. By his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit. Father God, this is an extraordinary thing. It's an astounding thing. It's something that we cannot fully grasp how you make us one with your son Jesus Christ and in so doing you give us life to the full and life for all eternity. And this is extraordinary. And Lord, we say that so often we've not really thought about our absolute union with Jesus. It's been easier to keep Jesus outside, separate in some way from us. But Father, I pray that over these coming weeks, you would unfold to us different facets of the mystery of our union with Jesus and the difference that that makes for us as your people. Show us the reality and help us to begin to fathom the mystery so that we might fully experience the hope of glory Christ in us and we in Christ. We love you, we praise you, we worship and adore you. Thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.